Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we're going to go through the two Thanksgiving games. The Texans went over the Lions as well as the football teams went over the Cowboys. Also want to touch on a bunch of injury news to get you all set up ahead of Week 12. Uh, Sunday, I hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I did enjoy both the games. It's just a shame we couldn't get Raven Steelers on there, but I am old enough to remember back when we did only have uh, two games and when that, you know, post-Thanksgiving meal uh, kind of sleepy mood came on around, around you know, 8, 8 p.m wasn't that the worst thing in the world to be able to sit on the couch and not have to worry about some more football okay who are we kidding i would i would prefer to have three games but it is what it is we're done with them we go over those two games and get some uh good injury news so thank you as always for tuning in to the pff fantasy football podcast without further ado let's get after it so with this texans win they uh you know won by 16 41 to 25 and yeah this wasn't really a deceiving final score i thought they were able to really just to kind of have their way with this Lions defense throughout the game they're up 23 14 at halftime and honestly like Jordan Aikens had a pair of passes in the end zone that probably could have ended two drives and scores and he just wasn't really uh yeah I mean it was a game where Deshaun Watson again really was just able to do whatever he wanted for most of the game I mean the throw for 318 yards and four touchdowns with no picks on only 25 attempts was absolutely wild it's it's been more of the same though I mean Deshaun Watson without DeAndre Hawkins this year rather inexplicably has just been the best quarterback that we've seen of his career so you know Watson obviously the Texans would be better off having DeAndre Hawkins than not having DeAndre Hawkins in the offense but I think we have seen him be more willing to spread the ball around, get everyone involved. And because of that, you know, go ahead and make uh, just some constantly really good decisions. Because in this game, you know, Will Fuller had team high seven targets. Brandon Cooks was there at five and nobody else had over five uh, with them. So only 25 pass attempts. We've seen Watson be willing to kind of focus more in on one guy. But in this 2020 version of the Texans offense, it's Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and then everybody else, particularly while Randall Cobb remains sidelined. So good stuff from all those guys. And it was Will Fuller who ended up having the biggest game of the group. Six catches, 171 yards, pair of scores. He had the week two goose egg against the Ravens where he was in and out a little bit with a hamstring injury. Then he had a five-catch, 38-yard performance against the Browns when they were more or less playing in a monsoon. Other than that, all Will Fuller has done all season is ball the hell out, people. He has scored in every single one of those other games except for 112-yard performance in week one and last week when he had six catches for 80 yards. So truly, Will Fuller, every week wide receiver one, as we like to say at PFF every week is Will Fuller week. Uh, looking at the rest of these guys, Brandon Cooks, five catches, caught all five of his targets for 85 scoreless yards. Cooks, prior to this game, and it's not going to slip too much because this was a solid performance, but prior to this game, since Bill O'Brien was fired after week four, Brandon Cooks was the PPR wide receiver 12, Will Fuller the wide receiver 17. So, you know, after seeing Fuller go off like this, he could easily uh, kind of jump Cooks in that pecking order. But hey, Deshaun Watson, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, makes sense that he can enable more than one fantasy relevant wide receiver. Didn't see a ton from uh, Kiki Cutie here. Uh, had a, a DFS uh, kind of pregame show I did on the PFF handle Thursday morning and just mentioned with mentioned with uh, Kiki. He had those big games in 2018, just realized those were as the offense's number two pass game option, usually with Will Fuller out and only working behind DeAndre Hopkins. So as long as Fuller and Cooks are healthy, expect them to continue to be the top two guys in this passing game. Uh, mentioned before, Jordan Aikens had two targets, but wasn't able to come down with either one. One of them was really egregious, hit him in the hands. The other one, the linebacker, I 
I guess was kind of in the way, but either way, we did not see Darren Fells get a target, which was good because if Deshaun Watson could ever just have one good, consistent tight end, I think that guy would be scoring double digit touchdowns on a yearly basis. So Jordan Akins, you know, someone that, Hey, if we continue to see Fells just not utilized at all in the passing game, maybe Akins could end up being an, uh, you know, more consistent upside too once the season goes on, but going to be tough to expect, you know, too consistent of production from as long as Darren Fells continues to split a lot of the snaps. With this Texans backfield, Duke Johnson season everybody, kind of, you know, he uh, went out there, still played, uh, you know, the lead RB role, but we did see CJ Procise uh, get a little bit more action uh, than usual. So, you know, at the end of the day, Duke was out there for 75% of the offensive snaps. That's barely off of the 77% mark we saw last week. That's legit RB1 usage, everybody. And we will take that eight days of the week, end up having nine carries, uh, let's see, nine carries, 37 yards. CJ Procise has five carries, 12 yards. So again, even if Duke didn't have just, you know, any electric runs, we saw him, you know, running over a linebacker on his way to getting eight yards, picking up a couple, you know, third and short conversions, like, you know, had a couple big blitz pickups throughout the game. I just don't know how you can watch Duke Johnson and, you know, just say that this guy can't do everything a normal running back can do. I admit, you know, me freaking out about him for the last 12 months on Twitter, even throughout March and stuff, you know, we haven't seen those sort of blow performances to really warrant uh, all the, you know, kind of just entertainment and speculation I, I've given towards Duke Johnson. So I get it. it. Hasn't been anything resembling, you know, a top 20, even a top 30 back in the NFL. Just realize with this sort of usage, he's going to continue to be squarely on that RB2 borderline. And, you know, how about we use Duke to his talents? You know, he's okay. He's not, even I can admit that Duke Johnson is not the running back you want getting 10 to 15 carries a game right into the teeth of the defense. But what offense should be handing anyone 10 to 15 carries a game in the teeth of the defense, unless we're talking about Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook. So it was good to see the Texans get Duke more involved as a receiver. That's the best part of his game. He had four targets, caught three of them, 43 yards, and a score. Also drew a defensive pass interference penalty uh, in the end zone that set up CJ, CJ Precise for a short touchdown. So with Duke, I mean, he had a nice one-handed catch. Then he had, a, again, a, a drew the DPI. And then for the touchdown, 33-yard slugger where Jamie Collins just could not hang with him in open space. So good to see Duke Johnson, you know, get going. This was against the Lions, league worst defense, and PPR points for game allowed him to position. So, you know, I get it. Might not be a week 13 thing, particularly if David Johnson is able to come back from the concussion. And either way, I mean, they're going to be matched up against the Indianapolis Colts in week 13. That's going to be a much tougher matchup. With this usage, Duke is still going to be on that RB2 radar, but as opposed to this matchup where, you know, we're facing the lowly Lions and I was, you know, actively recommending people get Duke Johnson in their lineup. I think next week against the Colts going to be a little bit, uh, you know, more understandable if you're not able to get him in there. So great performance by the Texans. On the lines real quick. So Matthew Stafford, 28 for 42, 295 yards, one touchdown, one pick, four sacks. Just kind of another underwhelming game. I mean, he had a 51-yard completion of TJ Hawkinson. That was thanks to a trick play. He almost caught a touchdown himself. I'm talking about Stafford, uh, but he was end up it ended up being ruled an incompletion. Even if he would have caught it, he would have been down at about the one-yard line. So fun throw from Jamal Agnew on that one, but was not meant to be. Yeah, I mean, look, he should have been picked off trying to chuck one deep to Marvin Jones on third and 14, but that was more or less a pump play anyway. So it wasn't you know, an awful decision. And his touchdown was this beautiful, you know, kind of crosser to Muhammad Sanu where he was under pressure and throwing off his back foot. I was watching um, Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show. I believe he goes on every Tuesday. Really good uh, segments from those guys. But it was interesting because McAfee was giving Rodgers crap about, you know, Patrick Mahomes introducing the no-look pass uh, to all, all the quarterbacks around the league. And Rodgers, you know, rolling his eyes, shaking his head. Because obviously, you know, Brett Favre and guys have been doing that for years. We all joke around about how, you know, if any other quarterback had made this throw, they'd be all over ESPN. But because it was Mahomes. 
he's the one getting all the uh, love. But either way, you know, with Stafford, what Rogers said was that someone that actually doesn't get nearly enough credit that they deserve for, you know, being able to throw at weird arm angles, make these wild completions was number nine, Detroit talking about Matthew Stafford. So we did see a little bit of that in this game. I mean, a couple of smart plays. He was going to take like a nine yard sack at one point, happened to see his running back there. So he just threw it at his feet to avoid the penalty. So Stafford, you know, someone that I thought could maybe just rally this Lions team uh, this year to something uh, resembling playoff contention obviously that hasn't been the case you know four and seven and they've just looked like a fish out of water more weeks than not without a Kenny Galladay in the picture with dealing with that hip injury still but Matthew Stafford just realized you know over the past decade if we're purely talking arm talent and some guys you know that are just able to make throws that very few quarterbacks on this planet can make Matthew Stafford firmly falls into that category now with these receivers mentioned TJ Hawkinson getting the bulk of his 89 yards on that 51 yard kind of blown coverage uh, play Marvin uh, Jones had 12 targets caught six of them for 48 yards hobbled off the field pretty badly with a knee injury on the last play of the game after he couldn't come down with it so keep an eye on that and he'll kind of continue to be in that you know border line wide receiver two probably more like a boomer bust wide receiver three as long as Galladay remains sidelined uh, nobody else ended up having over five targets Stafford was distributing it pretty well remember Danny Amendola also missed this game so when Amendola is out and Galladay is out they really just kind of rotate Sanu, Cephas, Marvin Hall and all these guys and we know the running backs and tight ends are getting plenty of targets as it is so not really a situation we can take too much advantage of other than with Marvin Jones uh quickly looking at these backfields we saw Adrian Peterson with a you know LeGarrette Blunt kind of vintage turkey day performance uh he found the end zone twice he got going in the third quarter I think like the first five plays of that drive or something they fed on the ball and he was making some guys miss to his credit ultimately though I mean AP he had 22 snaps and he had 15 carries like how much more obvious can it freaking be that you're giving this guy the ball at some point and you know talking about Matthew Stafford and having all this arm talent he does what are you doing wasting his time just handing the ball to Adrian Peterson over and over again it's like you know the days that we had from past years when he was just checking down to Theo Riddick and Golden Tate 20 times per game that is not slander on Golden Tate I love Golden Tate I'm just saying why do you have one of the league's most uh, talented quarterbacks just in terms of pure arm strength doing all these things that literally anybody can do so it is what it is I just don't know why we're handing the ball off to Adrian Peterson and Karen Johnson, a combined 26 games in a game that, again, was pretty much out of reach by halftime as it was. So carry on ended up playing 48% of the offensive snaps, down a bit from 70% of the week before. Caught all four of his targets for 52 yards. I mean, they're just using him as DeAndre Swift as long as Swift remains sidelined. But, you know, credit to carry on for making the most out of his opportunities. He did lose a fumble in there, so it wasn't an all-great game uh, for carry on. But, yeah, so <laughs> situation where as long as uh, uh, DeAndre Swift remains out, Adrian Peterson is going to be a threat to get these short touchdowns. He's going to be a threat even when Swift comes back, uh, but carry on is going to be the guy, you know, the scat back that should be getting more looks when uh, they fall behind in games such as these. It does sound like that uh, DeAndre Swift is going to have a good chance to come back next week. He was limited, uh, you know, I believe in Tuesday's practice and was questionable, more like a game time decision. So would imagine with the extra rest, uh, you know, with this being a Thursday game, DeAndre Swift will be back in that top 10, top 12 RB1 conversation in week 13 and beyond. Moving on to the Cowboys. 41 to 16 lost the Washington football team. Uh, a couple big points here. So Zach Martin got hurt early on with a calf injury and pulled quickly. Not good, but he was ruled out. And yeah, if we're taking away Zach Martin, who was the best member of this Cowboys offensive line. I mean, Tyron Smith, Lel Collins, uh, you know, Travis Frederick, who 
retired before a season. Like, obviously, these guys have had great years of their career, but I think just going into 2020, there is no doubt that Zach Martin was the single best player on this unit. You take him out, and it's just going to be tough to expect much of anything from anybody. Credit to Andy Dalton for hitting Amari Cooper on a deep touchdown, but other than that, we just didn't really see this Cowboys offense move the ball with uh, much consistently throughout the game. With that said, this was not a blowout. You know, I talked about the Texans just kind of being, you know, in front for really most of this game. I mean, the Cowboys were only down 20 to 16 in the beginning of the fourth. And then they went ahead and tried this ridiculous fake punt from their own 25 yard line. Again, only down four points early in the fourth quarter. Didn't work. Next play, Antonio Gibson goes ahead and scores a touchdown. Uh, Cowboys can't score again. Washington gets the ball back. They march down the field again. Gibson scores. Cowboys ball back. First play, Dalton pick six to Montez Sweat. All of a sudden, it's 41 to 16, and this game is well in hand. So, truly, just one bad decision. And Mike McCarthy afterwards was saying, you know, if the play would have worked, everyone would have called them geniuses. I get it, but it was just at that point. I think the Cowboys had just gotten, you know, their first stop on defense since the first quarter. So he brings up a good point. You know, it is kind of one, you know, it's a, it's a make or miss league, as they like to say in the NBA. So I understand some of it. Uh, you know, we can't just be faulting the results over the process and that, but it's just one of these things. I mean, the Cowboys. I believe they've done kind of several fake punts throughout the year. And I don't think this one, it, it, this one certainly didn't seem to catch the Washington football team uh, by surprise at all. So whatever it was, you know, the result certainly didn't work out. And that did seem to be the beginning of the end for this offense. So Dalton, you know, mentioned he had an awesome bomb to Amari Cooper, just toasted Ron Darby running right by him for a 54 yard score. Other than that, you know, we saw flashes. He had a really good throw to Cooper early on off his back foot under pressure. Also CD lamb dropped a touchdown inside the 10 yard line. Uh, so that, that, that wasn't good, obviously, but you know, like the pick six to Montez sweat, just couldn't get him, couldn't get the ball over the guy in a little screen. I believe it's Ezekiel Elliott uh, on the right. That wasn't good. Three sacks wasn't good. It was just underwhelming. And again, once you take away Zach Martin from the equation, I get why it was underwhelming. This offensive line cannot really block anybody, but just the thing, you know, with Dalton, we talked about this after the Vikings game. The reason why the Cowboys were so good last week was because they were facing PFF's single lowest rated defense in terms of consistent pressure rates. So when he's in a matchup like this against a defensive line, this good, it's going to be problematic, not just for Dalton, but for everybody involved in this Cowboys offense. And that is doubly true if Zach Martin isn't able to get back into the picture. So, you know, looking at their schedule moving forward the Ravens next week good luck we got the Bengals you know banged up 49ers team and the Eagles going to week 16 so maybe in that week 14 matchup against the Bengals we can feel good but Cowboys offense guys you know we've seen them without Dak all season long shouldn't exactly be catching people by surprise at this point nothing is guaranteed in this post Dak world unfortunately uh, Zico Elliott lost another fumble 10 carries 32 yards had a nice like 15 18 yard chunk but got nullified by holding might have not happened uh, if the holding didn't even occur so funny how that works uh, sometimes but Zeke yeah just wasn't looking all that explosive again he it's not missing huge holes or anything and Tony Pollard didn't exactly come in and do a ton better, although he had one of the better two-yard runs you'll ever see, uh, breaking a bunch of tackles on his way to converting. I believe it was a short little third and one. So Zeke's got the power, doesn't quite have that big playability these days. Another middling performance. In fact, they only have one catch for seven yards. Really hurts because at least earlier in this year, we were seeing a really high passing pass down floor. Has not been the case recently. So Zeke, you know, still haven't, you know, hasn't found his way back in that RB1 conversation. I don't think this performance will do so. Against the Ravens next week, it's going to be another tough, uh, you know, situation to put him more than in that top 15 range or so. And then, uh, you know, we're pretty much waiting for that Bengals matchup to hopefully get another good game out of Zeke. So 
truly just a disappointing performance from uh, this entire Cowboys offense in the entire post Dak era. Yeah, nobody else other than Amari Cooper had over 50 yards. He caught six of eight targets for 112 yards and a score latest and greatest Amari Cooper, uh, you know, Jerry World performance. But Michael Gallup, 41 yards. CeeDee Lamb, only 21 yards. Mentioned the touchdown drop. Yeah, it just wasn't a good game from this Cowboys offense as a whole. Just couldn't really get consistently going. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the app store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Uh, looking at the Washington football team. Another game from Alex Smith that I think this is what they were envisioning all along because he kind of threw everyone off his scent a little bit in that Lions game a couple of weeks ago where you know, 355 yards through the ball over 50 times. I think he threw it 55 times. And, uh, you know, people were wondering, oh, what's this offense going to look like? They want to run the ball and play ball control. And they've been able to do that recently. I'm not saying they're going to be able to do that for the rest of the year. But Alex Smith, 26 pass attempts this week, was right around the same mark last week. 149 yards, touchdown, you know, one interception that was not a good throw at all. He was under pressure, and he just kind of got it out of his hands right to Jalen Smith. Uh, luckily, Terry McLaurin was able to race him down and save a touchdown. And then the defense uh, got that CD lamb drop, and they held the Cowboys to just three points there. But, yeah, other than that interception, Alex Smith had a good game in terms of taking care of of the ball, you know, didn't lose any fumbles. Three sacks weren't great, but to, in, his, in his defense, weren't exactly plays where he was, you know, just holding the ball too long or anything like that. He was able to consistently uh, get the ball out to his running back. So, look, Alex Smith, he's not someone that throws downfield, but he has opened up a little bit for Terry McLaurin. And because of that, we've seen uh, the artist known as F1 continue to put up some useful useful for performances. And this one caught seven of nine targets for 92 yards. I believe the second straight game against the Cowboys, he had exactly 92 yards. Just a situation where, you know, McLaurin, he can win at all three levels of the field and, you know, also had that awesome chase down uh, tackle like I said on the Jalen Smith interception. So great game from Terry McLaurin. You know, he was someone that this week in particular was kind of everyone's top five, top six of the wide receiver rankings. That was probably a little bit overzealous, but he's, you know, going to continue to be the fancy wide receiver one that he has been all season long moving forward. Nobody else had over, uh, Let's see, 25 receiving yards. Antonio Gibson was number two in targets with seven. J.D. McKissick, just two targets in this one, everybody. And now I, you know, I'm, I've, we've, you've heard uh, Dwayne McFarlane on this podcast. He comes and does the game-by-game breakdowns with me. You can catch him on the uh, Wednesday edition of this pod if you want to try to get a you know head start on these Sunday games uh, still. And his, in his utilization report, he always does a great job 
talking about, you know, not just always what the touches said, but what the, uh, you know, behind the scenes numbers say with the situation. I think this is going to be one where we look back next week, a little bit closer at the snaps. And we're going to see that, okay, while McKissick didn't get the touches this week, he was still the guy out there in pass down situations, third down, you know, two minute, still end up playing 41% of the snaps in the game that Washington, even though they weren't blowing out the Cowboys, you know, they were still either a neutral or positive game script throughout the entire afternoon. So, Hey, this was awesome. Antonio Gibson absolutely killed it. Three touchdowns, gives him 11 for a season, 20 carries, 115 yards, and also had five catches, 21 yards, showing his ability in the receiving game. Gibson's a great player. We know this, but it's still not looking like as big of a role as we could possibly hope for. But hey, you know, 27 combined carries and targets. We cannot complain too much. Everybody, you know, Gibson's out there with his swaggy grill, making dudes miss, making all sorts of plays. You got to love it. I'm just saying, you know, I would not expect this same role for Antonio Gibson if the scoreboard was reversed, basically. So we'll see what this Washington football team can do. The uh, defense is really coming into its own. And, you know, hey, in the NFC East, that truly is just wide open and has been wide open all year. It would, you know, wouldn't be all surprising if they were able to capture it. Just realize, you know, they got a matchup next week against the Steelers. Then they got to go into San Fran, home versus Seattle and home versus Carolina. You know, wouldn't be shocked in particular if those Steelers and Seahawks games result in more McKissick-friendly game script. But, you know, Gibson at least with these, you know, 15 plus carries he's getting almost every single week, regardless of the situation, uh, we can continue to treat him almost as a borderline weekly RB1 now. Love that, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson has continued to make the most of his carries all year long. If you look at just the leaders this year in total force missed uh, broken tackles, number one, Dalvin Cook, number two, Mike Davis, number three, Josh Jacobs, and then tied for fourth, we have Antonio Gibson, Derrick Henry, and David Montgomery. So I know Montgomery is the most surprising name on the list. Put a little respect on his name. He uh, breaks a lot of tackles before, uh, you know, inevitably kind of getting taken down three to four yards downfield, but that Bears offensive line does not make life easy on anyone, most notably the artist known as David Montgomery. Uh, looking quickly at the rest of this Washington team, I think that actually about, so. oh, uh, we'll talk about Logan Thomas real quick. Uh, caught all four of his targets. 420 yards in a score. He's had four targets in every game this season. Also, do a 28-yard pass to uh, Terry McLaurin for the completion. So Logan Thomas, you know, former Virginia Tech quarterback. And uh, yeah, last week he actually had a quarterback sneak where they motioned him across the formation, got under center and won in. Yeah, let's have your 6'6", 250-pound athlete take a, take a snap or two away from Alex Smith per game. I like it. Logan Thomas made a good decision, a good throw. And he's a huge dude that can, you know, carry a couple guys when he needs to after the catch or just with the ball in his hands as a rusher. So love the way they're using Logan Thomas. And we don't see this sort of usage out of tight ends around the league uh so you know he's always going to kind of be in that upside tight end two range but just realize a tiebreaker give me the guy that actually has a chance for rush attempts and pass attempts at the tight end position so great win for the football team 41 26 also kudos to the texans getting that 41 25 win before we get on to some injuries to keep an eye on uh, ahead of sunday want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors at monkey knife fight people everyone asks me ian love pff how can i get some money off help me out brother and i tell them go to monkey knife fight use promo code pff deposit at least twenty dollars and you will receive a free pff edge and subscription that's a $40 value for just $20 and you're not even necessarily losing $20 you can use that $20 on monkey knife fight to play DFS games to play some prop games and try to make that money back so you're getting a free $40 PFF edge subscription for just $20 on monkey knife fight use code PFF everybody 
All right, now time to go through some injuries ahead of Sunday. I am recording this at noon on Friday. I was hanging out with the fam on Thanksgiving, so apologies for getting this out uh, you know, later than usual, everybody. We'll be back to our regularly pre- uh, scheduled programming next week. Uh, just a couple notes as I'm just going through uh, you know, Schefter's Twitter and uh, stuff like that. Uh, you know, As it's going, make sure I'm not missing anything too big. Uh, Eagles tackle Lane Johnson says season is done. Inside of his ankle has collapsed. That sounds very painful, and that is unfortunate for Lane Johnson. Uh, looking around the rest of the league, we have John Brown ruled out with an ankle injury. He's been playing through the pain really throughout most this year. You know, look, Stefan Diggs is the overall alpha, but without having Smokey Brown there, we can look at Cole Beasley as, you know, a legit uh, wide receiver three. So Gabriel Davis is going to step up and take away some snaps as well, but don't sleep on Cole Beasley. This guy has honestly been setting career highs and pretty much everything throughout this year. Just doesn't get the kind of consistent target share to make the most out of it. But he's had two games since week seven with at least 11 catches and over 100 yards. So Chargers team that just is pretty much allergic to playing in a non-shootout. I believe them and their opponents have gone for over 50 points in something like five or six straight games. So Justin Herbert, you know, and Josh Allen, they're both kind of in these same systems where, hey, they're putting up a ton of points on offense and their defense, while talented, has been banged up and not really the same group of world beers we've seen in the past. So, you know, be ready to have plenty of exposure to this Bills and Chargers game in fantasy land if you can help it. Uh, yeah, I had that Ravens-Steelers game move because of all the COVID outbreaks on the Ravens. Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, among others, are going to be out uh, seemingly for Sunday. That means RG3 is going to be under center. Gus Edwards and Justice Hill in the backfield. So I uh, talked about this a little bit in my Thanksgiving DFS breakdown when I thought this game was going to be on there. But Gus Edwards, you know, we have a big sample size of him in 2018 as a starter. We have week 17 last year and a couple games this year. He's averaged 16 carries and I think it's eight or nine starts. So it's a solid sample size. We should be expecting him to, you know, get in that 15 to 20 combined carries and targets. If the game script goes okay, this is what worries me, particularly without Lamar under center now. I think it's almost a stay away for DFS purposes because he's going to be carrying this elevated ownership that probably we shouldn't even be caring that much about because this Ravens offense already in such a brutal spot with Lamar Jackson. Now you take him away. I'm just worried about their uh, you know chance to find in the end zone at all. So you only have to go back to the AFC divisional round to see the time, last time Justice Hill actually led this backfield and snaps. If they are going to be playing from behind, like we'd be expecting them to play from behind with their backup quarterback under center. I don't think Justice Hill is going to get a bunch of touches, but I think he's going to steal enough snaps away from Gus Edwards to potentially render them both as non-viable fantasy assets. So Gus, he's going to be someone that without Lamar in the lineup, I'm going to take out of the top 20, have right more around that RB24, RB25 range. Uh, Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky is expected to start ahead of Nick Foles, who remains sidelined with the hip injury. So with Trubisky, the great thing about Trubisky and Fantasyland, now I guess great is probably a little bit of an overstatement there, but uh, the thing about Trubisky that can give him fantasy value, I should say, is his rushing ability. We saw in 2017 with John Fox and the first part of 2018, where he was actually averaging you know, 25, 30 rushing yards per game and things went well. Here's the problem, people. Trubisky actually hurt his shoulder in the 2018 season as well. This was the double doink year when they went to the playoffs and he was actually providing some boom weeks. He hurt his shoulder in week 11. He came back in week 14. From week 14 all the way until week 14 the next season, Trubisky did not, at, did not gain even 25 rushing yards in the game once. 
before then, his rookie year up until week 11, he had passed that mark. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like 10 plus times, he had at least 25 rushing yards from 20 from 2017 to week 11, uh, 2018. We truly saw him not take off as often, you know, with this injury playing through the pain. So, you know, hey, maybe in this new circumstance where he's pretty much playing for his job, you know, his spot in National Football League as a starting quarterback, yeah, it makes sense for him to play with, you know, a little bit less, uh, you know, just – reason of worrying about his shoulder but you even go back to when he got uh, hurt originally I and mean, he had a 45 yard run against the Falcons or excuse me when he got benched originally in week three he had that great 45 yard run like Mitch is a freaking great athlete out there with the ball in his hands I'm just worried you know coming off the shoulder injury how much rushing upside will we truly get I think at the end of the day probably just a good situation to stay away from unless we're talking about David Montgomery, who has uh, not cleared the protocol yet, I don't believe, but he's been practicing in full all week, expecting to play. He's, you know, the definition of a volume, uh, volume-based volume RB2. And Allen Robinson, who pretty much anyone can be under center, apparently, and this guy is still going to provide us with worst-case wide receiver two values. So A-Rob, Montgomery, that's it, everybody. Uh, with the 49ers, Tevin Coleman with a knee injury and Debo Samuel with a hamstring have been limited. Brandon Ayuk is on the COVID list right now. So we'll see. Maybe he gets activated before the game. But if he's unavailable, I think we can get Debo kind of already into that wide receiver three range that he's been for the better part of the last two seasons. And this matchup against the Rams is not ideal. But as we saw when they played last time, Kyle Shanahan, when you are his number one playmaker out there, he can scheme you into success about just against just about anyone. So I'm not worried about Jalen Ramsey, because I'm not sure if he's going to be able to even influence this matchup all that much. I mean, their first meeting, Debo had like 92 yards after the catch and only 66 receiving yards. So everything is these pop passes, these screen passes behind the line of scrimmage plays that, you know, a shadow cornerback like Ramsey can't really get in the way of anyway. So feel free to fire up Debo as long as he is ready to go. Coleman is just going to be in there for more emergency purposes in any way, seemingly, maybe not emergency, but he'll just be a backup because Raheem Mostert is expecting to be back. So he'll be the main guy. I'm fine going the well with uh, Mostert as, you know, a top 20 running back this week. Just realizing this matchup, McMullen's under center, much lower floor for everybody involved in San Francisco than usual. Seahawks running back Chris Carson was limited on Thursday with a foot injury. Carroll said, you know, after last game that Carson would for sure be back. So we'll see, you know, we'd like to see a full practice before we can uh, take, you know, Pete as it is at his, uh, you know, straight word. But Carlos Hyde should be at least somewhat involved either way. We didn't see Chris Carson running away with his 80% snap roll earlier in the year, but come on, Seahawks score so much. Russ has been cooking a little bit less lately. And I think, uh, you know, we can feel good enough about having Carson as a top 15 back in week 12. Just keep an eye on Rashad Penny because he's a supposed to be coming back to practice soon and quietly last year uh, we saw Penny and Carson pretty much split touches and reps alike when both were active. Rams tight end uh, Tyler Higby did not practice on Thursday due to an elbow injury and we also have Irv Smith not practicing on Thursday due to a uh, groin and back injury so two similar situations where there's two tight ends in, in uh, LA with Higby and Gerald Everett two tight ends in Minnesota with Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph if either of them miss time we're going to bank with the other one as a legit top 10 option at the position so that means Gerald Everett if Higby is out we can fire up a confidence as a tight end one and Kyle Rudolph if Irv Smith is out would also mention that Adam Thielen is someone to keep an eye on He's still on the COVID list apparently has you know had one positive test one negative test i don't freaking know what's going on either people but justin jefferson is someone that you should really try to get in the starting lineup every week regardless i know sometimes people have you know five freaking top 15 wide receivers and do you find a reason to bench them but look if dealing is out it's not even a conversation justin jefferson needs to be in the starting lineup of fantasy football leagues of all shapes and sizes if dealing is going to miss time we can project jefferson for a higher target share 
with the Packers, uh, Marquez Valls Scantling limited on Thursday after not being listed on Wednesday due to an Achilles injury. That uh, means there was probably a midweek downgrade, which is obviously not good for him. Been a boomer bust wide receiver all year long. You know, I would lean towards the latter option if he's going to be at less than 100%. Don't be afraid to really go back the well with Alan Lazard, who already played over a 50% snap rate last week, and we should expect them to get put more on his plate uh, moving forward. Devontae Adams is on the same practice plan as last week with his ankle injury. Fully expecting to play. Remains the overall wide receiver one. Uh, Sam Darnold practicing full on Thursday and is expecting to start uh, on Sunday, uh, play through the pain with his shoulder injury. So look with this, the Jets offense has actually kind of been fun. The last couple of weeks, Flacco's uh, put up over 27 points in back-to-back games. Uh, but you look at it, and he has, he has a league-high average target depth this year. Joe Flacco has been gunning it downfield to Mims and Perryman. Because of that, Jameson Crowder hasn't done anything, but Sam Darnold is back, baby. If we've seen one thing that him and Adam Gase love over the years, it is literally the only thing that we can see that they love is throwing the ball to their slot receiver. That is Jameson Crowder. I mean, you look at these last two weeks and two games ago, Crowder had a nice uh, toe tap touchdown that kind of, you know, made up for his lack of volume, but just compared to what he was getting with Darnold under center versus Flacco. And he even did have one big game of Flacco, but it's just been recent weeks. So to open up the year, Crowder had 13 targets, 10 targets, 10 targets, and then 13 targets again, last two weeks, just six targets combined. So truly, Getting Sam Donald back uh, for Jamison Crowder is going to make him, you know, not a wide receiver one, but it's going to actually put him on that wide receiver two borderline where he was not even a, close to a recommended start option otherwise. Bengals running back Giovanni Bernard limited on Thursday with a concussion. This is good because he got, you know, thrown the concussion protocol and we just didn't really know what was going on. It seemed like a situation where Samaj P. Ryan uh, could be the guy to, guy to own in Cincinnati situation where okay we don't want really anyone to do with this anyone that's involved in this Bengals offense without Joey Burrow under center but hey you know if it's going to be a running back getting these 15 to 20 touches per week I don't care what offense you're, uh, you're on you're going to be fantasy relevant but with you already limited it does seem like he has a decent chance to suit up if he doesn't, Samaje Piran is going to be, you know, that volume-induced low-end RB2. Trayvon Williams would also be involved, but as uh, my buddy Dwayne said on our uh, Wednesday version of his podcast, Samaje Piran was actually taking the pass down work from Giovanni Bernard last week, which makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, it's not, it's not you know, playing the fantasy players that we hope will get the touches. It's playing the fantasy players that we think will get the touches based on what their coaching staffs are doing. So it's unfortunate that now Giovanni Bernard is their early down grinder, I guess. But, yeah, so he was the the only guy I was willing to start, you know, after, uh, you know, Burrow went down because Finley is truly, in my opinion, uh, the worst uh, quarterback in the entire league, or at least the worst starting quarterback uh, entering uh, week 12. But yeah, Giovanni Bernard, he's not a recommended start either. Just stay the hell away from this Bengals offense, everybody. Tua was limited on Thursday with a thumb injury, but Coach Brian Flores said he should be able to play. Uh, Savin Ahmed has not been practicing all week due to a shoulder injury. So look, Ahmed was someone we've been saying on this podcast, like, okay, if you can get him over the past two weeks where he's going to have this RB2 workload, that's fine. But Miles Gaskin's back this week, and it's not like Ahmed was doing enough to really run away with this job. So you add the injury into the equation, and Ahmed is someone that – I don't cut him just yet, but the second Miles Gaskin is activated from IR and he has been practicing this week. So it sounds like uh, that's, you know, a strong possibility for Saturday. Ackman going to become pretty dispensable pretty fast, especially even now with this injury in mind. So Gaskin in this matchup ahead of, ahead of the Jets, if Ackman's going to be out, yeah, we can actually go ahead and fire up Gaskin. A little more riskier RB2 than normal, but that matchup and not having Ackman in the picture is huge. So Tua, 
hey, he's going to get another chance to start this week. But, you know, it's not even really about how well he plays in real life. It's just one of the least fantasy-friendly passing offenses in the league right now. Jakeem Grant's banged up, too. So he's really only throwing Devontae Parker and Mike Jasicki, who are talented. But the problem is, Tua, he's not showing any sort of fantasy-friendly rushing floor. He's not throwing downfield, and he has fewer than 30 pass attempts in all of his starts this season. So just not someone I'm looking to play in fantasy because of the volume issues. Larry Fitzgerald uh, tested positive for COVID and is out for week 12. Kyler Murray's been limited all week with an injury to his sh- throwing shoulder. Not someone's going to keep him out. I mean, their GM, Steve Kimes, said the expectation is that Kyler will play. Just realized didn't look great after the shoulder injury, uh, you know, throwing the ball last week against the Seahawks, and it could be something that could limit him uh, this week and beyond as well. So without Larry, don't freak out about Andy Isabella. I think if anything, you know, we have Hopkins. Obviously, he's locked in as a top five option at the position. Christian Kirk is someone that I think, even if he sees the shadow coverage from J.C. Jackson, Jackson has all his interceptions. But look, he's still been out there the whole year. And this is the league's single worst defense. I'm talking about the Patriots and explosive pass play rate allowed this season. So I think Kirk can get back on track after a couple of duds, even with Jackson following around. He's like a I don't want to necessarily compare their play style. But to me, like we need to treat Jackson almost like a pre Baltimore Ravens version of Marcus Peters, like a like a like a less, you know, boomer buzz version of that, because He's getting the interceptions, but he's also getting the big plays. I get it. You know, you want to create turnovers. I think it's okay to give up a big play here and there. If you're going to be, you know, enough of a baller to take a couple of risks to make some big plays for your defense, just realize that, you know, Jackson, great cornerback, maybe not the cornerback that we need to be worrying about in fantasy land is my point there. Biggest issue here is, you know, behind Kirk, I think Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson are going to be getting in there and splitting snaps. So we saw this earlier in the year when Kirk was sidelined. I believe where we all thought it was going to be in the Isabella week, Keyshawn Johnson actually played more. So look, I love Isabella. The guy's a great player. He was my number one Cardinal on my, you know, preseason. Hey, the most underutilized player on every team. He's still going to be a number three pass game option at best against the Patriots defense that, well, they haven't been great this year, starting to play a little bit better. They have Gilmore active. And again, with a, you know, less than hundred percent Kyler Murray back there, just not a situation. I want to take too many chances on other than in DFS. Chargers running back Austin Eckler is unlikely to play despite returning to practice with a hamstring injury. Sounds like week 13 is target. So another week of Kalen Balaj, everybody. I know he disappointed uh, in the revenge game last week and we were expecting, you know, a much bigger performance. But if you still look at it, I mean, the volume was exactly what we were hoping for. 16 carries, nine targets. I mean, oh, my God, the second Eckler gets back here, everyone, he's going to be a legit top five RB the second we know he's healthy. Uh, just realize that, you know, it does look like week 13 is going to be a target. So Balaj will be, you know, an RB2 for another game. A uh, lot of stuff going on with the Falcons. This will be one of the more important injury reports to monitor uh, once the fin- uh, final numbers come in and stuff. But Hayden Hurst has a practice all week with an ankle injury. Julio's been limited with the hammy and Todd Gurley has been sidelined with a knee injury. So if Gurley's out, Brian Hill's someone that we can actually put inside the top 24 backs. We're going to have Ido Smith also getting involved, but hey, Brian Hill's someone that's really looked better in Gurley throughout this year. And if again, you take away a team starting running back, there's going to be plenty of opportunity elsewhere. If Julio is out, just note that Matt Ryan has one touchdown. That's it in four games with Julio completely out or sideline for more than a half. So I think, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley, we're obviously firing up. Russell Gage is kind of this low ceiling wide receiver for regardless. I'm not really looking to take a chance on a, a Lamede, Zacchaeus, or Christian Blake because Zacchaeus was the guy that was next man up throughout the first first part of the year but he was banged up last week and because of that Christian Blake ended up coming in after Julio got hurt so I think it's a stay away because we don't quite know which guy it's going to be and it's gonna be a lesser version of the offense so I know it's a great matchup against the uh, you know Raiders if Julio is active obviously needs to be out there but just realize uh, there's a lot of kind of uncertainty behind Julio 
if he ends up being out. Uh, I'm not looking to attack, you know, a backup tight end of Hurst is out, but he is someone that only Rob Gronkowski has more targets, at least 20 yards downfield than Hurst uh, this season. If he is able to be healthy enough to play this week, I do think Hurst could have himself a nice little game here and a potential shootout against the Raiders. About six more of these, everybody. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has been limited, but uh, with the shoulder injury, but he's already been ruled out. Teddy Bridgewater, on the other hand, has been practicing in full and seems on the way back. So good news. PJ Walker was fine last week, but again, two brutal end zone picks. And I mean, this wasn't ever going to really be a QB competition. So bringing Teddy back into the picture, I think should be good news for the passing game. You can say, oh, maybe not good news for DJ Moore, but I mean, both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are top 10 wide receivers in air yard share the season of their offense. I mean, it's been more consistent for Robbie, but we started to see them get a little more involved with DJ on the screens and stuff like that. So against a Vikings secondary that we just saw not even come close to being able to slow down uh, Andy Dalton and company, I think pretty much all these Panthers wide receivers and Teddy can be fired up with some confidence. And that also goes from Mike Davis, RB1 workload. We saw the RB1 season get back to happening in week 11 against the Lions. A little bit tougher matchup this week, but again, chase that volume in fantasy football. Mike Davis has plenty of it. Uh, I mentioned before, David Montgomery has been practicing in full all week uh, with, with the concussion coming out of the bye. So definition of a volume-based RB2 there. With the Broncos, Jerry Judy was downgraded to a DMP on Thursday dealing with an ankle and Achilles injury. Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler will receive some boosts. Look, Drew Locke loves slinging that rock around, just realized it's not an easy matchup, even though we're at home against the New Orleans Saints defense that is really coming on lately. And, you know, if Judy's not there, maybe we'll take some, you know, DFS starts to Patrick or Hamler, but I don't think it's an offense, you know, worth concerning yourself with too much in season long land. At the Colts, uh, Philip Rivers not been practicing all week with a toe injury, but come on, this guy played through a torn ACL uh, at one point. I don't think it's going to be anything to take him off the field. More interesting, though, is Zach Pascal, who's been uh, missing practice with the knee and foot injuries. So Pascal actually leads the Colts in targets since the week seven bye. This is why I've been rejecting the idea that Michael Pittman is, you know, in the midst of this huge breakout because he's had 90 of his yards, you know, over the past two weeks come on literally uncovered crossers where he's just been able to run all across the field. And I just feel like people, it's one of these occasions where we're taking, you know, every, you know, threshold when I say, you know, minimum 25 targets or, oh, since week four, all that stuff is always a little bit arbitrary, but we need to do the best job we can of not, you know, just splicing weeks and splits that only tell one story. Like I see people only referencing Pittman over the last two or three games. Like what happened to the first four games he played the season where he played over 50% of snaps in every single one, even 92% back in week two. And the guy never cleared 40 yards or, uh, you know, scored a touchdown. So I'm looking at since their week seven by which Pittman came out and he's played 58%, 87%, 81, 80% of their snaps out there in starting lineups since then you know the target distribution has been cut freaking right down the middle for pretty much all these guys with Zach Pascal actually being the number one so Pittman yeah he's looked good and if we take Pascal out of the system now we're starting to talk about a more condensed target share but as this team stands when they're healthy I just think it's a it's an offense that wants to run the ball and when they're passing it we've seen evidence all year that they're going to continue to spread it around so hey you know maybe the Titans won't guard Pittman like they really just refrain from doing in week 10 but just realize you know so much of his production has kind of come against either blown coverages or just real soft zone coverage. No reason why that can't keep coming. And hey, it doesn't really matter how the production comes. We just want that production. Uh, however, it does get there in fantasy land. Uh, just realize if Pascal is out, I would be more willing to treat, you know, Pittman as more of a boomer bust wide receiver three. As it stands, he is not a recommended star for me. He's outside my top 40 options at the position. Uh, DJ Chark has been banged up and not practicing all week with ribs. Chris Conley and LaVisca Chenault have hip and hamstring injuries respectively, and they've been limited. Yeah, 
great situation for Mike Glenn to walk into. Give me James Robinson. Other than that, stay the hell away, everybody. Two more. Sammy Watkins has been practicing in full all week with the hamstring. Should be good to go. Look, it's Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. They're the only guarantees. But Sammy, you know, kind of even though he's been always getting his, you know, a certain level of flack that he uh, hasn't exactly, uh, you know, helped himself out with all his inconsistency over the years. But you look at that playoff stretch last year, you look at week one and even a little bit what what he was able to do afterwards. I think Sammy Watkins down the stretch here could be a sneaky upside wide receiver three more weeks than not. Uh, last point, Jalen Richard limited with a chest injury. Josh Jacobs popped up on the report with a hip on Thursday. Would think he's okay. He's kind of been on and off the injury report all year. He's such a tough guy. Uh, I think he'll play through the pain. But the Richard note is really interesting because last week, even though Jacobs only had a target, he was out there pass blocking, you know, in the situations that Jalen Richard usually would have been the guy. So they trust Devontae Booker to take, you know, a series or two here uh, here and there from Josh Jacobs. But Jacobs is the one getting the true three-down roll when Richard is sidelined. So even if we didn't see that come to fruition last week, we got this juicy Falcons matchup where we could see Jacobs truly have, you know, a game just in the upper, upper, upper uh, range of his outcomes. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And when I say that's going to do it, I just want to do one more quick check on uh, Schefter's always great Twitter account to make sure we aren't missing anything. And it looks like we are good for now. So please, you know, make sure to check out these injuries again, at least before Sunday morning, you know, teams release their final actives and actives 90 minutes before kickoff. Uh, so try to find some time before 1 PM, just to make sure you don't have someone who is on this uh, kind of questionable list end up not playing. So I uh, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Have a great week 12. And again, we'll be back to your reg- regularly scheduled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday editions of this podcast in week 13 and beyond. So I'm Ian Harditz. You can find me on Twitter at iHarditz. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 